The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Welcome to Holy Smoke, the Spectator's religion podcast. I'm Damien Thompson. King Charles III is the first British monarch to inherit a post-Christian kingdom. Less than half of his subjects identify themselves as Christian, and only about one in 20 adults in the UK go to church on Sundays. Since 1980, church attendance has more than halved, and that's broadly the situation in most of Western Europe. In the traditionally God-fearing United States, by contrast, roughly 20% of people are practising Christians. But there, too, the statistics now point to a steady decline in religious belief. The figures are worrying for American Protestants and catastrophic for American Catholics. My guest on this episode of Holy Smoke is Ryan Burge, an Associate Professor of Political Science at Eastern Illinois University, who posts twice-weekly reports on the state of US religion on his Graphs About Religion website. He's also a pastor in one of the least doctrinally conservative Baptist denominations, the American Baptist Church. As you'll hear, he identifies with the enormous number of Americans probably a clear majority of the population, who feel alienated by, on the one hand, an increasingly sectarian progressive atheism, and on the other, by what they regard as the dogmatic views of many evangelical and Catholic leaders on the subjects of homosexuality and abortion. At every stage in our very lively conversation, Ryan produces statistics that socially conservative Christians would rather not think about. Indeed, we know they haven't been paying attention to them because the pro-life movement was so obviously unprepared for the current backlash against the Supreme Court's overturning of Roe versus Wade, even among church-going Republicans. Now, you may not agree with Ryan Burge's opinions, but it's hard to envisage a future for Western Christianity unless believers confront the huge body of research on which they're based. Here's our conversation. Ryan, thank you very much for joining me. Your graphs about religion are absolutely gripping. One of the things they tell me is that patterns of church attendance are, as they always were, significantly different in America from what they are in Europe and England as well, England and Britain. In Britain, the statistics are extraordinarily depressing for Christians. We've seen church attendance halve over the last 40 years, and that decline has accelerated since COVID. So we now have at most half a million people attending Church of England services. I don't think the Catholics have produced any official figures, and I'm not sure I would believe them if they did, but I think if the two main denominations, Anglicans and Catholics, could muster up a million people on a Sunday between them, I would be very, very surprised. So the picture in Europe and Britain, which doesn't seem to be very different from mainland Europe, is one of very rapid decline. In America, it seems to be 
a little more complicated. Looking at your graphs, I get the impression that what's happening in the Protestant, particularly the evangelical world, is quite different from what's happening in the Catholic world. So if you could give me a little bit of an overview, that would be very helpful. Yeah, so um, if, if you look at Catholic attendance specifically in America, it's dropped precipitously. About half of Catholics in the 1970s attended Mass at least once a week. And now it's closer to 25% of Catholics attend Mass once a week. So, you know, a really, really significant decline there. Amongst uh, evangelicals, interestingly enough, the share of evangelicals who attend church every week has actually gone up slightly over the last 40 years. So we're seeing sort of Catholicism in America has become a cultural identity more so than a religious identity. You know, in terms of like I was baptized Catholic, I'm, let's say, Italian immigrant or Irish immigrant or Hispanic immigrant. And I, I have the Catholic trappings because of that, but I don't really go to church much, maybe for a baptism or a wedding or a funeral. But beyond that, I'm I'm not showing up. Evangelicals are not are not like that. Like if you're an evangelical, you're all in. You're very engaged in the in every aspect of the religious life. So almost 60% of evangelicals uh, attend church every week. And still, even today in America, about 22% of American adults identify as evangelical. So, you know, it's a, it's not a small portion. Uh, on an average Sunday, just in the Southern Baptist Church, you have between 5 and 6 million people going to Southern Baptist Church uh, every week in America. So it's evangelicalism is doing just fine. Um, it's the Catholic Church that's not doing so well. But could you just, so, so, so we can do a direct comparison. Could, could you give me an idea of the percentage of Americans who go to church on Sundays. So right now it's about, and, and listen, there's a lot of play in the joints on this, but on surveys, between 20 and 25% of Americans say they attend church every week. Now, the figure used to be, or was often quoted as being 40%. I'm yeah. talking years ago. But it was, yeah. so that implies that there has been a very considerable secularization in America as well. That in, you know, evangelicals as a community may be doing fine, but overall mm -hmm. Americans are, less religious. Let me kind of throw a throw a, a curveball on that just a bit, though. Maybe what's actually happened in America is now people are just being more honest on surveys than they yeah. were 20 or 30 or 40 years ago, right? So one big revolution in survey design is now we've moved to almost all online administration. It used to be, you know, you got a phone call or you had to sit down and sit across from another human being and answer questions. Now you do it online and when you're looking at a browser window, you'll be a lot more honest, you know, about your actual attendance than actually looking someone in the eye and say, I never attend church or I attend church once a year. Well, certainly I remember in the past, researchers used to be skeptical and say that if you actually counted the number of cars in the car park and tried to tally that up with the number of Americans who claimed to go to church, there was a considerable disparity. So perhaps it you know, hasn't been 40 percent, I don't know, since the Eisenhower administration, if then. Yeah, you're actually referencing a great study, by the way, that uh, they, they did. They had, it was in a little county in Ohio. They did a survey and they asked people what percentage of, you know, do you go to church every week? And about 45 percent of people said they went to church every week and they counted cars and actually looked through the phone book and calculated the actual number. And it was closer to 20 percent. So, you know, we've always lied about church attendance. I just think we're lying. There might be actual attendance might be declining some, but I think the the responses on surveys are actually a bigger part of it than the actual butts and seats, you know, on Sunday morning. And I suspect in Britain, people are under less pressure to lie because there simply isn't the social pressure to attend church. There is a big difference between 20, 25% of people attending church on Sundays 
and 5-6%. I mean, that's stating the obvious, but it implies a really massive disparity between American and European levels of church going to the point where in Britain, church going is lower than that of any state in the union. Yeah. Uh, if you get to New England, it gets a little, it's a little dicey there. I mean, like New Hampshire, Vermont, places like that, attendance is really low. You know, it's like in the 15, 20% range. So that gets you like in the European, the high end of the European, you know, state situation. But no, like if you look at a state like Utah, you know, Virginia, Maryland, those states are way more likely to have religious attendance than any, almost any country, except Poland, by the way. I mean, we have to put Poland out there. Poland is incredibly religious. Um, according to the European Social Survey, 44% of Poles go to church every week, which which is higher than any state in the United States. So um, Europe has some very, very, some of the very top end and, and a lot of the very bottom end. It's, it's very bimodal that way. That surprises me. I read the Polish statistics and I was really surprised because Every young Pole I meet, and there's an awful lot of them in London, tends to be somebody who was raised Catholic but doesn't go anymore. And I do wonder if the non-religious Poles have left the country. I think that's that's what I would guess, is, you know, you, you leave Poland because you want to get out of that cultural environment, right, and go somewhere else that's less, probably less religious and different culturally. The people who stay in Poland are probably a different category entirely, from, you know, in terms of education, income, all those type of things. So yeah, I think immigrants are a definitely different category when it comes to religion in Europe. And in Britain, it's a fact that 50% of all the people who are in church on Sundays in London are from black or non-white ethnic minorities. There's no reason why you should take them out of the equation, but it does mean that traditional white middle-class English church going is genuinely in spectacular freefall. But let me, ask you, let, let me ask you this. We have seen in recent survey statistics the growth of the famous nuns, people who have no religious allegiance that they're, they're prepared to declare doesn't make them atheists, but they are effectively agnostics. At least they're not prepared to identify themselves with any particular church or religion. That proportion is growing very, very steadily in America as well as Britain, to the point where among young people, what's the proportion of nuns in America now? Uh, amongst Generation Z, it's closer to 45%. Identifies atheist, agnostic, or nothing in particular. That's a big change, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, uh, the overall percentage in the entire adult population is right about 30%. But in the 1970s, it was about 5%. What's interesting is from 1972 to 1991, the share of nuns actually didn't go up that much. It went up one or two percentage points between 1972 and 1991. But from 1991 forward in America, the share has just absolutely exploded. So every year it goes up like half a point or a point. And, and now, like I said, it's gone. It went from 7% in 1991 to 30% by 2022. And, and like I said, it's probably going to drift above 40% in the next 15 to 20 years as the older generation dies off and is being replaced by the younger generation. So it's going to be very hard to cling on to that 20-25% percentage of the population who go to church in the States, isn't it? Oh, I mean, there's there are many denominations in America. Like, for instance, we have a, a group called the Presbyterian Church USA. It's like the liberal flavor of Reformed Christianity in America. In 1984, they were 3.1 million. Today, they're 1.1 million members. That's not attenders. That's members. 1.1 million members. Uh, on an average Sunday, the Episcopal Church in America will have less than 300,000 in the pews nationwide. 
So, I mean, there's just tons of examples of, of these denominations who are going to have to consolidate or close or radically rethink what they are in 10 or 20 years because they just won't have well, they won't have the bodies in the pews to justify. So relatively healthy evangelical church attendance, even if it's passed on down the generations, isn't really going to safeguard America's identity as a Christian nation, is it? Now, I think we're, we're seeing that Christianity has always been the default religion of America, especially white Christianity has been the default religion of America for, you know, forever, since the 1700s, right? And 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 now we're seeing the cracks begin to form. I, I tell people, I think the shift in American religion is the biggest cultural change in the last 100 years in this country, and we are not fully prepared for what that means. We still, in Congress, we have, you know, probably two, depending on how you want to talk to them, two or three members who do not identify with religion. Out of 535 in a country where 30 percent of Americans are non-religious, you know, we still haven't caught up in, in a governance standpoint to what we look like demographically on the ground. There's going to be some big changes in America over the next 20 or 30 years, and we are not ready for it. Something that interests me is the intensity of, of the secularist dogma that comes out of America, which is partly established in the federal government and in, in the courts and in, 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 in the public schools, above all in the universities. It's almost as if Puritanism, certainly among the intellectual elite, has morphed into a sort of secular dogmatic Puritanism. I hesitate to call it woke, but we know what we mean. And that mm. is actually more intense in America than it is in Britain, although I'm afraid we're catching up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's an interesting little thing that happened a couple of weeks ago in the atheist, because I follow atheists a lot on Twitter to try to stay involved in this this discourse. And Richard Dawkins, who is probably the most famous living atheist, I would bet, you know, really is kind of like one of the, the founding fathers of, of modern atheism, did a podcast where he said that I believe that there are only two genders, male and female. And, and you should have seen the backlash he got from the atheist community. You know, saying like this is not we believe in progressive values and inclusion and all these things. And I think that's like the main thing that's the main obstacle facing the atheist community in America is can they make room for people who are not liberal and progressive on all social issues like the issue of gender? Right now, it seems like they're being they're they're engaging what I call boundary maintenance, which is saying you don't belong here. You you are not you can say you're an atheist, but you're not one of us. You know, Christian groups do that all the time. We, you know, kick people out for all kinds of reasons, doctrinal reasons and behavior reasons and stuff. Atheists are doing the exact same thing with Richard Dawkins trying to marginalize him because they disagree with his view of gender. I think it's a fascinating, um, like we almost have, we have like, I call them evangelical atheists, right? They're not only atheists, they want you to be an atheist too. And they want to convince you why religion is bad and why progressivism is good. And it's, it's really interesting how they they will lambast evangelical Christians for being evangelical, but they're just as evangelical on their side, and they don't see the inherent contradiction in that. So it's as if the sectarian vigor, which was always part of the American marketplace in religions, the, the free market in religions that explained why American Christianity was so much more vibrant than European and especially British Christianity, it's almost as if that has now become a sectarianism on the progressive left that's being pursued in rather similar ways. 
Oh, it's 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 very much. And that's the thing is they they ran away from all the things they didn't like and then reformed a community of all those things they they didn't like. But in a way, they like it. You know, it's like as long as we're as long as we're fighting for what I believe in, we can fight however we want. And that's OK. It's just a very interesting juxtaposition of Americans believe stuff a lot. You know, we're very fervent, uh, very passionate about what we are and who we are. And I think uh, there's a lot of atheists who are in that boat. Now, listen, there are also a lot of libertarian atheists in America, okay, where it's just live and let live. I'm, I don't believe in God. I don't go to church, but if you want to, that's cool. Just keep it over there and, and keep out of my way. But they're the ones being silenced, right? They're the ones whose voice is not being heard because they're being, and this happens on the left and the right. The loudest voices are the most extreme voices. I, a great quote I read from a political scientist was, moderates don't march, you know, moderate atheists don't march. Moderate evangelicals don't march. They sit on the sidelines and watch the far right and far left fight it out. And I think that's what you're seeing in American religion right now. You're seeing a lot of fundamentalist evangelicals on one side, but you're also seeing a lot of fundamentalist evangelical atheists on the other side sort of fighting things out. And a lot of America looks at both sides and go, I don't agree with either of you, but I don't feel like I fit in with either of you either. So what do I do? Well, I know from reading your amazingly professional and fascinating blog that you are an evangelical Christian, raised Southern Baptist, but not a fundamentalist. You're married to a Catholic. Your kids attend right. both evangelical and Catholic services. And as you put it, you hope that um, one of them will stick. At least they'll, they'll pick up something. Is there any hope for what you might call mainstream Christianity? And by that, I don't necessarily mean the moribund institutional liberal, dogmatic, secularist church mm. of Pope Francis, I have to say, or the Church of England. But, uh, you know, is, is there any real hope for passionately committed but not bigoted and sectarian Christians? So I'm actually, I grew up evangelical in the Southern Baptist Church, but now I'm a pastor in the American Baptist Church, which is the mainline, mainstream flavor of the Baptist faith in America. Um, our church has female pastors. Uh, many of our churches are open and affirming to LGBTQ people, right? So we are sort of like the, the middle ground between nothing and evangelicals. Unfortunately, churches like ours are dying by the droves. Um, the largest flavor of this is the United Methodist Church, which at one point had over 10 million members. 95% of the counties in the United States had, had a United Methodist Church. And now they've lost 20, at least 20% of their churches have disaffiliated in the last 18 months, and it's over the issue of same-sex marriage. There are conservative UMC churches that are leaving now. So that church is crumbling literally day by day as more and more of these churches leave. The Episcopals, the Presbyterians, churches like mine, we are incredibly small. The, the number of mainline seminarians in America dropped by 50% in the last 20 years. So we're not even training up pastors or priests anymore. We are going to be gone in the future, and all you're going to have left in America are evangelicals on one side and nuns on the other side, and a lot of people in the middle who want to be Christian or want to be religious but just can't find a church where they don't feel like they have to cringe every Sunday. And unfortunately, that's almost all that's left. Well, what about the Catholics? There are churches where you don't cringe, for example, the traditionalist Latin mass communities that are being viciously suppressed by the Vatican at the moment, which I think is a real own goal because it's the only bit of Catholicism that's growing. It's one of my hobby horses, I have to say. Um, what do you think the future holds for Catholicism in both Europe and America? 
I, I think you got a really good point there, Damien. I think the trad we call them trad casts in America, yeah. the traditional Catholics, they're gonna do fine. Like they're gonna, but the problem is they can't offset the losses from the other side. Like the left wing is is losing hundreds of thousands of Catholics um every year. Are they're not losing the Catholic label, right? They're they're just not going to mass. They're not actively participating in a in a religious community, which is bad for them, I think, and bad for democracy. So they're going to grow. I, and I agree. That is an own goal. I think I think Francis should sort of back off and let them like, you know, turn a blind eye at this point to the Latin mass. Let it happen. If it's going to happen, fine, whatever. I think the Catholic, the problem with the Catholic Church in America is the bishops and even a lot of the priests. I've seen data on this. I actually just reviewed a piece for a journal. The, the bishops and the priests in America are becoming increasingly conservative. You know, they're watching Fox News. Uh, you know, they've always been conservative on some social issues, but now they're becoming, you know, conservative on, on all issues. The Catholic in the pew is not that conservative. They're actually probably maybe right in the middle, if not slightly left of center on certain issues. Like, for instance, 60% of Catholics are in favor of abortion. So, like, how do you keep those people in the pews when you talk about life all the time and life begins at conception? I think you've got to understand that the Catholic Church in America is 65 million people. It's incredibly politically diverse, and you need to put more left-leaning priests in more left-leaning parishes. And, you know, you need to kind of match better with your priests and your parishes, and they're not doing that right now. I know a lot of left-leaning Catholics who won't go to Mass because they don't want to hear things about gay people and abortion. I can understand that, but on the other hand, left-leaning Catholics often don't go to church because they don't see any particular reason to go to church because they're not actually convinced of the need to uh, um, go to church every Sunday, which is a very solemn obligation in the Catholic Church. And they, there's just so much that they don't actually believe about Catholic teaching. Why turn up? Not as if left-wing Catholic services are particularly attractive. They're aesthetic horror shows, apart from anything else. They really are. Well, the, my, my hobby horse is um, the idea that I'm a social scientist first and a pastor second, right? So, you know, uh, theologians think about the world vertically. It's all about God and belief and all that kind of stuff. I believe that the, the real value of religion, actually maybe the biggest value of religion in most people's lives is the horizontal piece. It's the community that you build by being with different people, right? And religion's always been a really cool place where you see people from different economic backgrounds, educational backgrounds, even racial backgrounds. And now we're seeing the church is going to become all one note, which are college-educated people with a four-year college degree and a good income and married with kids. We got to get away from that. Like the, the, the religion is the best when it's diverse. And I think if you talk to a liberal Catholic and said, you should go, and it's not because who cares what you believe about Jesus and Mary and the Bible and stuff, you should go because the community matters. And that those relationships you will form will probably provide more peace of mind and more support from you when you need it than anything you believe in. So think about belonging first, being part of something first, and the belief thing is second. Unfortunately, in America, we think of religion primarily as a belief mechanism, and I don't think that's really helpful for a lot of people who just don't believe or can't believe or refuse to believe. I would have to say, and I, I, did, I studied the sociology of religion myself for several years, I don't think there's much evidence to suggest that um, that sort of Durkheimian um, notion of religion um, actually works in the modern world. The religions that flourish, and it's not confined to Christianity, are those in which people believe in supernatural mm. things. And this is something that applies to Islam and Judaism as well as Christianity. And I think the only thing that will keep people, if they're Catholics, for example, going every Sunday, or evangelicals for that matter, is a belief in Jesus Christ and the afterlife, which is difficult to sustain in the modern world. It really is.
Oh, absolutely. And I think that's the problem is a lot of people are like me in that I believe sometimes, right? I believe as best I can. And I'm very clear with my people about that, right? Like I am not over the moon, like I'm not a hundred percent diehard believer in everything that Christianity has to offer. Some days I struggle, some days I doubt, but I go because I like the community sometimes, you know, like I don't go because of the belief piece. And I think there's a lot of people in America who really do believe they're hundred percent committed, whether it be tradcasts or evangelicals or whoever, but there's a huge swath of America that can't get there mentally, intellectually, they cannot get to a certain belief. So what do we say to people like that? You don't belong. No, my message to them is come anyway, hang out. You might find that you believe more because you're in a group of people who believe more. That community will sustain you. So, you know, there needs to be room for doubters and, and 50% believers and 12% believers. And unfortunately in America, I don't think those spaces exist very much. Well, Ryan, I have to say that strategy has been tried by, for example, the Church of England for decades, probably for more than 50 years. And it's got it absolutely nowhere. Come along, hang out here. People don't. They've got no real reason to. Why should they go to a church rather than to the pub or, a, or you know, a bookshop that serves coffee, if there are any of those left, which there probably aren't anymore. But, you know, why bother to show up, really? What is so distinctive about a church if you don't actually have to believe it? So I'll give you an interesting study that just came out two, two or three months ago in the Sociology Religion Journal. It was about atheists in Canada. Question was, are atheists just less inclined to volunteer? Interesting question, right? Like, is it is a religion that drives you to volunteer and be you know charitable to your community? What they found was that atheists have just as much inclination to volunteer. They just don't have the mechanisms to actually do the volunteering. So the desire's there. It's the it's the structures that aren't there. And guess what? Religion provides that structure. And we actually know there's tons of data that says that volunteering makes you feel better mentally. Like it's a good cool. thing. It's an, yeah. Yeah. It's an objectively good thing to volunteer. So my argument would be we have these structures. We've created them for you know hundreds of years, built all this money and all this time and all this effort building these structures. Use them to do the thing that makes you feel better. I know it doesn't work, but what's the alternative? In America, we are not going to the bar as much anymore, which is probably a good thing on balance, but we're also not spending time with other people as much anymore. My my argument is I want you to get out into the community and be social. If you want to join a church, a mosque, or synagogue, that's great. But if you want to join like a, a fraternal organization or a local community group, that is good too, but join something because you are better when you are part of a community, religious or otherwise. Unfortunately, that message in America is not being received and falling on deaf ears. And we stand around and go, why are we so miserable right now? And the answer is because you're not part of something. Join something. And I think religion is just an easy way to do that. I would just have to say, again, we tried it in Europe. It didn't work. But maybe there's something very different about our community spirit. But I can assure you that's roughly been the message coming from the Church of England and now increasingly the Catholic Church, which is, you know, come along, you're very welcome. And people say, why? It's boring. The entertaining churches, and I speak from long experience of attending evangelical services in America as well as Britain, the entertaining churches tend to be the dogmatic ones, funnily enough, the ones with the best music, whether it's worship music or whether it's you know music associated with the traditional latin mass tend to be the believing churches and there's yeah. so much sociological evidence to suggest that religions that demand quite a lot of you 
tend to be the ones that are good at holding on to people, at least to, you know, a small percentage of people. They are more, they may be smaller, but they're more robust. Is that a good thing, though, on balance? Would we be better off in Britain or the United States having 10% of Americans who were completely committed versus, let's say, 10% are completely committed versus 30 or 40% who are marginally committed that go to church once a month? It depends, it depends what they're committed to. I mean, one of the things I've noticed recently is that this is something that's happening in evangelicalism and Catholicism, mainly in America, which is that Orthodox believers are so appalled by manifestations of secularist dogma, the sheer sort of bullying and twisted fantasies of extreme progressives, that they're themselves fantasizing about a post-liberal order or Catholic integralist society or an evangelical Christian nationalist America, these things are never going to happen. It seems such a waste of time, as well as faintly sinister. And I say that as somebody who's definitely not identified with liberals or the political left. So Russ Dothat, who's a commentator for the New York Times, wrote, if you don't like the, the religious right, wait for the post-religious right. You're going to hate that even more. And I think that's that's where we're headed to in America is a post-religious right. We're actually seeing it in the data right now. The share of Americans who identify as evangelical hasn't changed. It's actually 33% of people self-identify as evangelical. But here's something interesting. The share of them who seldom or never attend services was 16% in 2008. It's 27% of self-identified evangelicals attend seldom or never. They're taking on religion as a cultural marker, not as a not as like a theological ascent. Right. And I think that's honestly from from like a, a democratic perspective, the, the worst part of religion is the belief part. It makes people intolerant, unwilling to compromise. And in America, we have to have compromise to get things done. And that's where religion's going in America. It's going to uncompromising dogmatic religion because it's about culture, not about really anything else. And that's that's a scary future for me. I think it must be possible to hold on to certain eternal truths and a religious heritage without indulging in bigoted fantasies of a coming post-liberal order or whatever. But I think it's going to be very hard to do it while the churches, the mainline denominations and the Catholic Church employ such incredibly unimaginative and mediocre people as their middle managers or senior managers. We call them bishops well, in the Catholic Church. Well, think about abortion in America right now, Damien. I mean, most Americans are in favor of abortion at some level, right? Yeah. You know, at least through the first trimester, probably 60 percent, depending on how you poll it. Yet in about 18 states in America, abortions completely banned at six weeks, which is basically a complete ban. Right. And now you're seeing in the polling data, Americans are, are pushing back against that. They, they you know, they, they, they thought they were kind of ambivalent about abortion until they took it away. And I keep telling my Christian friends, my evangelical friends who are completely pro-life, I go, you've got two options. Either force it down their throats, which you just did, or convince them that life begins at conception, which you failed to do. So how do we move forward in a democracy where you're saying, no, abortion is murder, and most people in America goes, no, it's not. Do you force them to live under your ethic, or do you try to convince them that your ethic is right? Right now, they're forcing them by, by executive fiat to do that. And I don't well, think that's a healthy way to govern. I do think that's a very, very good question for those Catholics and evangelicals who fantasize about a post-liberal order or a Christian nationalist America. I just say to them, well, look, what, look at what just happened in, what was it, Ohio, 
where lots of Republican voters voted down a, a proposed amendment to the state constitution, which was essentially supported by pro-lifers, which would have allowed them to make anti-abortion measures permanent and very stringent. And you know, lots of Republican voters were, were, were opposed to that, which does suggest that religious people and public opinion are diverging. Oh, absolutely. And I think, how do you square that circle? You know what I mean? Like we want America to have Christian values. That's the thing. Like a lot of evangelicals don't understand this. A lot of Americans are cultural Christians. They'll say they're Christian. They do not agree with the church on things like same-sex marriage or abortion, right? They are much more moderate or even left-leaning on those issues. Why? I always ask pastors, I go, listen, if you've been pro-life your entire life and your denomination has been pro-life for decades and you are anti-gay marriage, then why has the share of evangelicals who have become pro-gay marriage gone from 10% in 1988 to 50% today? Why are you failing? Why can't you convince them that your view is right? Why is the culture winning? I, I'm not hearing a good explanation for them why they cannot convince people that their view is right, because they've not been able to do that. These are tough and fascinating questions, Ryan. Let's return to them sometime. I would really like that. Thank you so much for your time. And let me encourage everybody to read Ryan's incredibly informative graphs on religion. Graphsaboutreligion.com. You can sign up right now for one free post, one paid post every week. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, Damien. This was fun.